0: Bankless Nation, it's time for State of the Nation. The topic today, is DeFi broken? That's the question we raise. It's from a post that was written that that, that caught our attention. Why DeFi is broken and how to fix it. Part one, Oracle Free Protocols. Huh. How is DeFi broken, David? And how do Oracle Free Protocols fix it? Actually, that's going to be the topic of the show. So (laughs) don't give me the answer. But why are we exploring this topic? Give us some context. Yeah, the guest on today's show, bank, long-time Bankless
1: listeners will uh, be completely familiar with, Dan Elitzer, who has written a number of articles that have, I think, all turned into Bankless episodes because he has the uncanny he's got hit rate. He has got, he's got a great hit rate. Uh, and so when Dan writes an article, uh, I pay attention. He doesn't write too many. Uh, he, he conserves his bullets for that when uh, he shoots one, it really means something. And he shot a bullet. And so we are going to go and explore why Dan thinks DeFi is broken and what DeFi needs in order to really uh not lose $3.8 billion like it did last bull market. Oh, oopsie's. Uh, yeah, yeah. 3.8. <laughs> uh that was a number. Uh so that's the topic of today's show. But before we get into the show, we gotta talk about to our friends and sponsors at Consensus, because they would like you. To make sure that you know that you can get some fuzzing going on if they also don't want, lose, uh, don't want you to lose three point eight billion dollars, they also similarly on on theme they also don't want you to lose 3.8 billion dollars so if you have not fuzzed your contracts with consensus's diligence fuzzing tool there's a link in the show notes to go fuzz your contracts. I'm not going to explain what fuzzing is because I've already done that too many times. And it's probably too cringe. Uh, but if you are a code developer and you would like your code to not get exploited or hacked or code developer, <laughs> <Not pretty laughs> yeah, we have some, some podcasters. Anyways, uh, make sure that your code does not get exploited and doesn't lose $3.8 We're billion. We're trying to help dollars. you. It's what David say. If you, if you ever do make a smart contract that hosts $3.8 billion, dollars, congratulations. I hope you use Consensus's diligence fuzzing tool to get to that point. There's a link in the show notes to get started with that. Yeah. if you're uh, not and... fuzzing, what are you doing? Uh David, there's also doing?
0: there's also another thing we we have to mention. I think that's happening tomorrow, right? We yes. have a uh what is this? Dads chat with dads?
1: Yeah, dads are chatting with dads. Uh, Bankless and Blockworks, uh, two founders. Uh, Two pairs of founders are going to have a Twitter space together. So if you are interested in crypto native media, I would assume you are because you are listening to this. Uh, Me and Ryan are going to be talking to Jason and Yano from BlockWorks. So we're bringing some questions for them. They're bringing some questions for us. We're just going to chat about what it's like in the world of crypto native media, uh, because this last bear market has also rocked the world of crypto native media. Uh, So uh coin is lots under yeah yeah there's lots to talk about yeah it's uh like anyways, so that is talking that's happening tomorrow uh byob specifically tomorrow what at time? 12 p.m eastern time on twitter so if you're a twitter person that is what we are going to be doing at 12 p.m eastern tomorrow now, today if you are listening to this on the
0: podcast feed um, okay yeah so is DeFi broken is the question today i i really feel like um
2: <sighs> Man, yeah. it's
0: been a while since we've done an entire podcast dedicated towards DeFi. And yet, yeah. what's ironic here, David, is that's where we started. That's why we're like, here. Yeah. The reason uh-huh. Bankless started is because we were like, oh, you know, <laughs> we're not, the industry isn't talking about DeFi enough. Mm-hmm. Like the thing that actually makes us fully bankless. And yet, I feel like while our protocols have uh, experienced tremendous success and DeFi now has clear product market fit, there's something missing. Right. Like, we're 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 are we working on a new narrative? Everyone's talking about okay, this is the next bull run, that'll kind of fix things. It still feels like we've got some things to build right. in deeper in the in the stack here at the kind of the core primitive layer. So I think that's on on deck for today. Uh, yeah, why else are we talking about this? What what's more context?
1: I think this episode will pull in some themes that we've been talking around on Bankless since day one. Uh, the protocol, when I was reading Dan uh, Dan's article, the protocol sync thesis came came to mind. Um, the other image that came to mind is, you know, that um, that meme of like apes evolving into men. And then like there's like, it's like the Darwin picture. There's like seven of them. Uh, but then there's the joke of like the last one is like, wait, we've gone too far. Turn back.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel
1: like that's what DeFi has been for like the last like 18 months. Mm. Like we skipped a step. And mm-hmm. I think that's what Dan is saying. It's like, wait a second. We've gone too far. We skipped a step. We have to go back. Yep. And we have to go back to pro- to progress forward. Yep. Uh, and so uh, the words primitives are going to be said in this podcast. I'm going to bring up the protocol sync thesis, which we'll define later in the show, uh, and uh, risk dependencies and oracles. These are all going to be themes uh, about why Dan thinks that perhaps we should kind of – kind of go back to the drawing board at least in a couple certain respects just to be able to actually progress forward in the world of DeFi innovation uh so that, that's the
0: the uh context i would leave bankless listeners I to take the theme is with. back to the basics this is this is going to sound a little bit like a 2020 circa bankless 2020 type of episode yeah, we we're talking about fine. these fundamentals yeah. remember yeah. that yeah. i can't wait to dive into this guys we're gonna get right to dan in just a second but before we do we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible including Our number one recommended crypto exchange, Kraken, go create an account.
1: mantle is a brand new high performance ethereum layer 2 network built differently from the other layer 2s you may be familiar with mantle is a modular layer 2 built on the op stack but uses EigenLayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive ethereum layer 1 not only does this reduce mantle's gas fees by 80 percent compared to other layer 2s but it also reduces gas fee volatility mantle has a decentralized sequencer set eliminating the risk of downtime and censorship on the network and because mantle implements multi-party computation, nodes, layer one settlement execution is shortened from seven days to as low as just one or two. Mantle is the first layer two built by a DAO and is backed by one of the biggest DAO treasuries in the world, BitDAO. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded to help the growth of Mantle, like Game7 for Web3 gaming or EduDAO for the world of Desai and Bybit for TVL, liquidity, and on-ramps. Check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xmantle. Immutable is at the forefront of Web3 Gaming, on a mission to bring digital ownership to every player, offering the world's best games and game development platform. Immutable lets game builders and players focus on great gaming experiences. So build your next Web3 game on easy mode with Immutable's leading full-stack Web3 gaming platform. Its built-in UX features like the Immutable Passport are designed for games to scale to the next billion players coming to Web3. With Immutable, players can sign up with an email, pay with a credit card, and experience a frictionless purchase flow inside of games. So discover your next favorite game and explore a network of 150 games building on Immutable, including such titles as Gods Chain, Guilds of Guardians, Illuvium, Ember Sword, and Metalcore. So join Web3's largest ecosystem of games and players. Build, play, and connect at immutable.com. Bankless Nation, I would love to introduce you to Dan Elitzer, a partner at Nascent, a VC firm that specializes in deep crypto economic primitives. You may remember Dan as the guy who wrote, I don't know, about the threat of liquid staking derivatives back to when we, he called them de- the death of Ethereum, as in delegated Ether. Uh, now we call them LSDs. Uh, and that was three years before proof of stake was even a thing. Uh, maybe you remember him from writing about superfluid collateral in 2019, which was a huge precursor to what became yield farming, which he also wrote about yield farming called aquaponic yield farming in DeFi. Uh, I think in June of 2020, right before DeFi summer, and then also wrote Unichain is an inevitable, is inevitable, a thesis on the inevitability of app chains. All of these things uh, have more or less come true with uh, varying degrees of success. I would say very strong degrees of success. uh, And all of them have also become bankless podcast episodes. And Dan has also recently released an an article, Why DeFi is Broken and How to Fix It. And so here we have Dan on the show today. Dan, welcome back to the Bankless for I think like the fourth or fifth time. Uh, it's good to have you back, man.
2: It's guys, always great talking with you.
0: Thanks for helping us produce all that content too, man. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you've owned a, earned a co-host status here or something.
2: Hey, any anytime, I'm always happy to chat. But,
1: but, uh, on that note, like, what when you how do you decide when you are going to write an article? Because you you like I said in the intro, you can serve... You don't you don't you know it's not you're not like Dan or every single week you're not shooting your shot left and right uh what does it
2: take for Dan to actually put pen down on paper well I am trying to trying to ramp up the frequency here a little bit which is one of the reasons why this was part 1 I wanted to kind of publicly commit myself but you know you can't wait 6 months for a part 2 yeah. uh but really when I write it tends to be because I'm seeing a trend and I'm seeing enough teams enough people talking about similar themes and then I'm, I try to pull it together and express it in a way where I, I have the fort, great fortune to be exposed to a lot of really talented builders and, and be talking to them all the time. And so I see some things and some patterns a little bit before I think a lot of other people have the opportunity to. And so when I'm, when I'm seeing these patterns emerging, I then try to take it and condense it and articulate it in a way that I think will help it click for more people the way it started to click for me. And to be clear... I don't know where things are necessarily going, right? I'm not claiming that, I, that I, I, I can see these things. I'm just seeing possible futures and trying to make the case for that future as clearly as I can if I think it's a future that is is worth considering, worth discussing.
1: Well, we definitely want to get into what that trend is. But first, can we just establish what the problem is? Uh, the trend is here to fix things, uh, but does that imply that something is
2: broken? What What about the current state of crypto? What about the current state of DeFi is broken? Well, like, like you, I mean, I, I really got into the space with first Bitcoin, thinking of it in what was actually a DeFi context before the term DeFi even existed, but saying, hey, how do we actually make financial services available permissionlessly for the world. And I think we've made incredible progress with this experiment, but we've also had huge problems. And I think when you look at that headline number, you know, $3.8 billion being stolen in these hacks and these exploits just in 2022, right? Not even the full bull run, right? That was just last year. Um, And that is just, I think a couple orders of magnitude higher than an acceptable rate if we really want this to be the future of the kind of global financial system. And we can't expect to be able to recommend to our, our friends, our relatives, entire countries and communities that they should be using DeFi when there is still this much money being stolen through vulnerabilities. And I think it is a tractable problem. I do think that teams need to do a better job taking high quality audits and security practices seriously. But I, I also think that just doing more of the same is not going to get us to that orders of magnitude improvement that we need to have in order to really be able to advocate normal kind of non-tech forward people like ourselves be using this and being comfortable putting their life savings into these systems.
0: So Dan, are you are you positing though that um, the big scalability, the, the big thing we're missing in DeFi, the big reason it's broken is hacks... Stolen money, three point eight billion dollars. Is that the 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 real reason that DeFi is kind of broken and not taking off, uh, you know, as quickly as we might hope?
2: I don't think it's the only reason. Certainly, I think there's there's a lot of other things we need to work on too. But I think that if we don't make meaningful improvement on the security front, it's never going to be able to be mainstream without improving security. And if we manage to improve on UX, uh, improve on the way that we onboard people into the ecosystem, the way people uh, manage recovery, the way they understand protocols and interact with them, if we don't, uh, if we manage to fix all those other things without addressing security, we're actually doing a disservice to the world because that's just gonna mean it's easier for more people to lose more money. Yeah. The worst right? user
0: experience is like the one we got with SBF and FTX,
2: where it's like Exactly. Hey, the exactly. Is so
0: fast, but oops, doesn't have any of my money. Right.
2: So it's not just about like smart contract vulnerabilities, right? It also is finding ways to better uh like self-police, hopefully within the within the industry around things like, you know, scams and uh bad bad actors both at the kind of company level at the project level at the like you know twitter spam telegram spam and scams whatsapp scams all these things like we need to make progress the number one thing holding back the industry is retail users in particular getting wrecked mm-hmm. right because then people don't trust it they don't want to want to use these things they they get a bad impression they get uh It makes sense that regulators would want to come in and regulate when they're seeing retail users getting wrecked because that is their responsibility, right? As they see it is that they're supposed to help keep people safe. And if people are not safe, then they're going to feel like they need to step in, even if they really don't understand this thing and don't want to be touching it in the first place
1: so that 3.8 billion dollar number that you cited uh you're not saying that is because of one specific part of defi it is a global problem there are many different types of hacks perhaps absolutely that's, perhaps that's why there's part 2 coming maybe more parts after that but let's focus in on what the content is around part 1 uh what what is broken about the current state of defi that is leaky in the, uh, in the capital like why why is defi uh, vulnerable, and and why does the current flavor of DeFi that we have not suitable to scale up to the masses?
2: Yeah, so I think that the major problem here that you know oracles fit in the headline, but it's not fundamentally about oracles, right? It's about thinking with a layered approach to how protocols are being designed. Uh, one of the things that we've spent a lot of time focused on at Nascent recently has been around security and really understanding the whole security process, the security stack. And working with both portfolio companies and looking at at other code bases and understanding how hard it really is to go in and understand the surface area of a contract, all the things that could potentially go wrong with it. And so our view is that the right way to do this is to start with a primitive. And a primitive is a contract or set of contracts with zero external dependencies. And an Oracle is a type of external dependency. Governance and upgradability are are massive external dependencies. And so if you have to reason about all the possible values that could be changed or different ways in which external data can be brought onto chain in both an accurate and timely manner and how even if slight deviations in that accuracy or that timeliness can cause really bad consequences for the protocol, for users of the protocol, that the more we can strip that out at the lowest level, the better. And there are absolutely very good reasons to be using oracles, to have governance, to have forms of upgradability. But the point is, we want to be very explicit about the range of scenarios in which those come into play? When do those dependencies matter? And what can we have and reason about and allow to be used that does not have external dependencies?
0: So it's been a while since we've done an episode on oracles. And I think that um, we should kind of go back and reestablish how oracles are actually used in some of the most popular DeFi protocols today. So what is an oracle? Are we talking about a price oracle? What does it do? What are some of the popular um, DeFi applications that make use of this? And can you describe that in some more detail? I
2: think the number one thing that oracles are used for today is around price oracles. Now, oracles are a very general tool um, overall, right? And I think that uh, Chainlink in particular and a number of others have made great progress on being able to bring... Various types of data that is exogenous to blockchains, right? Take real world data, things that occur that can't be defined within Ethereum or, or other blockchains natively. And how do we import that data? How do we bring it on chain? And I think the, one of the ways that people have tried to get price data via an Oracle on chain without pulling it in off chain uh, via Chainlink or something similar has been to use. Uh, these kind of TWAPs, uh the time-weighted average price, pulling it from Uniswap or other places. The problem is those have a very, very strong trade-off between uh, how essentially accurate and timely the price is and how manipulable it is. Because TWAPs over a, say, 10-minute period, pretty easy to manipulate for a lot of assets. Over a 24-hour period pretty hard to manipulate for most assets. But if you're trying to do, you know, perps with 50x leverage, you can't look back at the average price over a 24-hour period. You want it closer to that 10-minute window. And so there's this inherent trade-off with doing stuff in this very robust on-chain way. And so Chainlink and other providers who are pulling things in off-chain really look to to change how you approach that trade-off.
0: So we have the um, the slow oracles that are kind of on-chain with with kind of the t- TWOP um, thing that you mentioned, which is, um, this is something that that Uniswap and other protocols like it sort of brought the market, but we're still missing that, that fast oracle to give us kind of up to the second, up to the minute types of uh, prices. And so there's an external off-chain dependency if you want prices like that. So w- what popular protocols are using... Say a Chainlink or some sort of off-chain oracle in order to like um, actually do what they do. Is it a lot of them?
2: Pretty, pretty much all of them, right? Um, it, it, if you look at you know Compound, Aave, any of these lending protocols today, any uh, derivatives uh, protocols, all like uh, synthetics and GMX and others, like they're all using um, a form of price oracle. Most of them are using Chainlink. Dan, if if Chainlink went down, how effed would we be? Uh, be pretty bad, right? And I think, you know, a lot of folks commenting, rightly pointed out, like, they're actually, you'd be hard pressed to come up with uh, an example of an exploit where Chainlink did not function as advertised and where the the exploit was due to Chainlink. Um, And I'm, I'm not at all claiming that there is. I think the problem is that we are now using Chainlink in such a way that if there is a problem with Chainlink, it creates a problem across all of DeFi on like Basically, every different blockchain or, or L2, it's not just Ethereum that would be affected here. Um, and so I think that, you know, again, they performed very well so far. Um, and while, you know, there's always room for improvements, um, and, and I think Chainlink has done a great job improving over the years. I remember some of the early protocols used in Chainlink, and there was a lot of kind of uh, performance and reliability concerns back in the day that have largely um, been addressed. But This really is on a go forward basis, right? What I want, what I'm thinking about is hey, the next bull run, what are the things that if we don't get ourselves on solid footing now, that we're going to regret because when the bull runs happen, you guys know, right? Everything gets crazy. People are are just like trying to like, you know, go to the moon as fast as possible, and, that's in. right. And so, yeah. So I, I I think that that is the thing that we need to be doing during these quieter periods is like taking a step back and saying, Hey, even if stuff has been working so far, what are the, what is the kind of like technical debt, um, right? Ecosystem debt that we can clean up. I would say, I would put USDT is pretty high on that list as well is like, just, Hey, USDT has been fine so far, but there's a lot of reasons th- that people have been concerned for years and need to be concerned. And so like, let's, let's find these things, having a single Oracle or single Oracle network as the dependency for everything, having USDT as dependency for everything. How do we start uh, really diversifying the, the risk here? Because that is what we're trying to build, right? Is a more robust financial system And just because a bank isn't the single point of failure doesn't mean that we don't wanna find more ways that people can choose the trade-offs, choose the risk models that they want. And again, no one's gonna be choosing directly and piecing together every single piece of the stack, but having composable layers that people can choose service providers or other protocols that are piecing together the different dependencies uh, and creating the right end-user product, I think that's the exciting thing here, right? The fact that we have these permissionless protocols underneath, especially primitives at, at the base layer, and that you can build whatever you want on top of it, I think that is what excites me.
1: And that's the, really the, the call to action that you're presenting in your article. This uh, We've been talking a lot about oracles, and and I just really want to double down on, this is actually not an oracle conversation. It's deeper than the oracle. It's dependencies
2: generally, De- right?
1: Dependencies generally, yes. Uh, Oracle's being the biggest one, the biggest systemic uh, issue that we might have as an external dependency, but it's the fact that we rely on external dependencies in the first place, which is the area of emphasis that, that you're bringing to the conversation. And you, you said this word, um, exogenous dependency? Exogenous to the, yeah. to the blockchain system, right? Something external needs to come into our DeFi apps in order to make them work. And that an exogenous dependency is also risk. Uh, and I think what you're trying to uh, advocate for are r- not just a reduction, uh, the elimination of exogenous dependencies, but also producing what we need, uh, would otherwise need as like an external oracle, but being able to produce it internally so that we can actually, it's like an inversion. Can you walk us through like uh, this part of this conversation?
2: Yeah, I think a, a lot of what we see now is like the... Kind of centralized exchange world and the things that exist outside of blockchains, just they're much much bigger than the on-chain uh, kind of like ecosystem today. And we've been kind of catching up, right? As DeFi has grown, as as usage of protocols has grown, um, that that gap has shrunk. And eventually, I I, I hope and I believe we will uh, hit this tipping point where the on-chain Uh, volume is actually higher than the off-chain volume, right? The activities that is happening uh, in this kind of crypto native on-chain context will become the primary market, not the secondary market where we need to refer off-chain to data from the primary market. And we've already seen that with certain assets that have gotten very large uh, before getting a listing on a centralized exchange, but there is still much deeper liquidity for them uh, within DeFi. And that's awesome, but that's the exception. And I hope someday we'll be the rule will be stuff is more liquid. The primary market is happening on chain. And then we don't have to pipe in information from off chain as much. We can be more reliant on things that are wholly on chain. Uh, but to date, that's been a really bad idea to make that ass- assumption because- the primary market has been off-chain. So let's design in a way where we can eventually transition to a more on-chain-centric world where the dependencies can be fully defined um, and are not subjecting to the the very complicated process of bringing in data outside of a blockchain context and, pr- and bringing it on-chain.
0: By the way, for people who... Um... Uh, are like, well, Dan will always have centralized exchanges and you're living in this fantasy crypto uh, world. I I remember when back in 2019 people, this is grandpa Ryan coming out. I remember when uh, 2019 people said decentralized exchanges would never take off. And if you looked at the market share in um, 2019, so that's just four years ago, 0.06% of spot trade volume happened on decentralized exchanges the other 99 point like whatever percent was on centralized exchanges you know where we are now we're at 20 percent all right decentralized exchanges are now up to 20 percent four years later it from basically higher. nothing i'm still impressed david all right <laughs> and by the way much yeah. higher post guess what spf yes. ftx all that whole mess So this kind of thing can happen and it gets to the core of actually what we mean when we say DeFi, because (laughs) remember that guy, Alex Mashinsky was saying, I got some DeFi for you, come on over to Celsius. I'll give you some DeFi Um, and it wasn't really DeFi. If you go to kind of the most extreme version of what DeFi is on the fully decentralized side of the spectrum, it would be something that doesn't have any external off-chain dependency, no exogenous type of data source. And so something like ether, the asset is very on chain, right? It has no external dependency. That is a very much economic bandwidth DeFi, probably the closest protocol we've seen, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, but that's hit kind of mainstream is something like Uniswap, which really has like, it has its own Oracle. It doesn't doesn't require some sort of third. Well, like that so it doesn't really
2: need. I mean, yeah, it produces like a a T W O T that you can use other places, but like it fundamentally doesn't need an oracle. It is people just trading, right? Right. And it so it
0: produces an oracle. It does not ingest an oracle. Yeah. The more off chain sort of uh, dependencies you inject, the less DeFi something becomes until you're kind of like all the way to Alex Mashinsky, I suppose. So what we're talking about is getting back to the core of like DeFi by trying to like reduce. I feel like we've become complacent somewhat a little bit in that we're like ah oracles work and these you know governance dependencies whatever i mean we're just kind of papering over some things and you're what you're saying is hey let's while we're sober now because we're sober it's 2023 no one's no one's drunk on the hype of whatever bull market let's shore this up let's make sure we get this right i think that's what you're saying here
2: right and i think it's it's a it's an idea about having choices along the spectrum, right? Like if you look at Celsius, you look at FTX, like right? They were, they were just like scamming basically. Um, and, But if you think about what is the kind of future state look like, it is not an incredibly purist. Everybody is doing everything fully on chain with zero external dependencies. But uh, I think Andreas Antonopoulos had a, had a great, a uh, bit that he did, you know, years ago, where he talked about what is the benefit of having a kind of permissionless systems and permission systems. How do they coexist? And his point was, you can build a permissioned system on top of a permissionless system. You fundamentally cannot build a permissionless system on top of a permissioned system. <laughs> and so, I think for DeFi, similarly. What we're talking about here is let's actually start with this incredibly low attack surface, zero external dependency, low level primitive, and then you can build things on top that have dependencies, and you can choose which dependencies. And if you want to go all the way to something that you know is a fully centralized custodial KYC service that is built on top of that. You can, and that can still be built on top of the same base level primitive, but people can choose kind of like what what is their point along that spectrum, what services do they want to trust, while still uh, actually concentrating all of the liquidity, all of the economic exchange at the base layer can be happening in this very secure shared market.
1: But Dan, building DeFi apps like that is hard.
2: It is hard. <laughs> it's so hard, right? And that's what we haven't seen a lot of it. And so we've been cutting corners. But I think also, uh, you know, and this might be a, a another controversial point. I think, you know, AMMs, uh, automated market makers, you know, that Uniswap really helped popularize have been uh, a real leap forward and have allowed DeFi to get to where it is today. And we tried the pure kind of like order book style peer-to-peer exchanges for both trading and for lending markets prior to that. None of them worked. AMMs were what allowed it to break through. They improved usability given the constraints of like kind of like low user base, small user base, um, and just like low throughput, high cost doing stuff on chain early on. AMMs were great. I think we're actually going to circle back. We're actually going to end up like the, the ultimate efficient end state is we're going to have things that are much, much closer to order books than to AMMs as they exist today. And I think UniV3 was a big step in that direction with concentrated liquidity being effectively a, a gas-efficient on-chain order book. Um, and we're, we're going to see more shifting in that direction. So we're, we're, it's hard to do certain things. We've kind of got to look at how things are going to evolve over time. And so a lot of the things about layering and thinking about what is possible with these isolated markets, um, what is possible for going this pure, no dependency version of DeFi, that wasn't possible previously. It was tried uh, in in various forms, but it wasn't really possible. Now, I think we've evolved to the state where we have enough users, we have enough liquidity. We can be more thoughtful about building the architecture that is actually long-term and robust because we've gone through an initial bootstrapping period to get there. Uh, so, this isn't necessarily some ideas are probably just like bad and wrong. Other ideas, the timing is off. And then you think that it just means that this architecture is wrong, this idea is wrong. It was wrong for the time, but now we can do it with advantages that didn't exist before. And it is, I think, the people who are trying to do those things weren't wrong that those were the right ways directionally. To build up a decentralized financial system, uh the, the timing was just off.
1: So, Dan, how many uh, DeFi apps check this box as a very deep primitive that has no external dependencies? We got Uniswap. How many no. uh, apps after that?
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty slim pickings um, in terms of like what's what's live today. Um, I think there are uh, a, a few that have hopped out. Uh, I think it was Panoptic uh, may have called out for like Oracle-free uh, options that they may have actually uh, originated the term of kind of like uh, Oracle-free protocols. Um, there's there's others, um, I think, is uh, it Timeless or others that have, that have been doing this in various forms. I think finding the right way to not completely mess up you know, UX and actually keep keep the liquidity there, keep the UX um, up to par is tough. And so, I but I'm seeing this kind of wave of folks coming, both ones that we've invested in nascent, ones that we haven't invested in, like the the two mentioned previously. I think that there's there's this trend coming, mm-hmm. and uh, it's we're going to see how how it plays out. I think it has potential to be a lot more robust, and, and that if we are thoughtful, if we've got teams. Uh, like Oasis, like DeFi Saver and others who are building on top of some of these, um, you know, that's going to be very helpful to maintain a consistent UX on a solider base. And I think that there are, are many, many more services and protocols that will build on top of these if they can get the initial, initial traction going such that the average DeFi user today will see equal UX while having essentially a more robust stack that has been built up to support that.
1: So uh, Uniswap is one, uh, but we'll talk about how all the other major DeFi apps that have TVL do not check this box. So we got Aave, we got Compound, we got MakerDAO, uh, which will be, I think the the next like synthetics, I think all have an external oracle. Yeah. And so I think what really you're saying is like, hey, anything this whole... with lending derivatives,
2: all of this stuff is, is using right. external price oracles. Yeah.
1: Basically, if you're not using Uniswap, you're probably using an external dependency. And yep. an external dependency is just a fancy way of saying bank, I'll say. Uh, if you really want to generalize what a bank is, it's like somebody that can control your funds uh, in ways that you don't agree with. Uh, and so very very generalized. Yes very- yes
2: and no. I think the, the, the custody distinction is really important, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. a lot of these things, they don't have custody of your funds. They could, right. in theory, be upgraded in a way that is like ends up resulting in them taking custody or being very custody-like in these things. So I think that is an important distinction, Mm -hmm. but the fact that there could be these like really bad upgrades that could happen means that like, man, we better hope that the governance systems are robust. And I I don't think there's anybody who's been deeply involved in governance for any of these DeFi protocols that has like their view is like, oh yeah, governance works great. I love it. I feel totally comfortable with it. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Okay. So maybe to be less hyperbolic, not a bank, but trust. Like these things aren't yeah. aren't a bank, but they do. But you do have to trust them to not turn into a bank uh, if the wrong governance proposal went went through. Uh, and this like this goes right back to the roots of what like Ryan and I got into DeFi in the first place. Right. It's like, hey, what about bankless finance? What about trustless finance? Like my Twitter name is called Trustless State. And so I think what you're saying is like, hey, all these DeFi apps beyond Uniswap haven't been trustless. And so we need to get back to our trustless roots. Uh, Dan, I know you've got a number of protocols. I want to pick your brain out to to understand how these things are actually built. And if we're going to do like lending without an Oracle, how does that even work? And how this is kind of like inverting the the model, as we know, uh, to build and produce a new set of perhaps permissionless, trustless, Oracle-free protocols. Uh, But before we get to that that part of the conversation, a moment to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Learning about crypto is hard, until now. Introducing MetaMask Learn, an open educational platform about crypto, Web3, self-custody, wallet management, and all the other topics needed to onboard people into this crazy world of crypto. MetaMask Learn is an interactive platform with each lesson offering a simulation for the task at hand, giving you actual practical experience for navigating Web3. The purpose of MetaMask Learn is to teach people the basics of self-custody and wallet security in a safe environment. And while MetaMask Learn always takes the time To define web3 specific vocabulary it is still a jargon-free experience for the crypto curious user friendly not scary metamask learn is available in 10 languages with more to be added soon and it's meant to cater to a global web3 audience so are you tired of having to explain crypto concepts to your friends go to learn.metamask.io and add metamask learn to your guides to get onboarded into the world of web3 Hiring people worldwide, paying them in crypto, providing them access to benefits, it all so complex. But it doesn't have to be. Complying with labor laws, payroll rules, tax obligations, and crypto regulations in every country that you employ someone is difficult, time-consuming, manual, and costly. And it's drawing more and more attention from regulators and governments. But there is good news. Toku is here. Toku is the first employment and compensation platform for the crypto industry that makes this easy. Toku helps you hire employees or contractors and Pay them in fiat or crypto legally, compliantly, and with all the taxes handled in over a hundred different jurisdictions. So whether you're an early stage company with just a team of two, or you're an enterprise with 200, Toku has a solution that meets your needs. Toku is already working with the leading companies in the space, Protocol Labs, Hedera, Gitcoin, and many more. So transform your employment and token payroll operations with Toku. You can reach out to Toku at toku.com slash bankless, or click the link in the show notes. Introducing ETHX from Stater. ETHX is a liquid staking token designed to maximize rewards all while securing Ethereum. With Stater, you can run an Ethereum node with just four ETH, an 85% lower capital requirement versus the 32 ETH required for solo staking. With Stater's four ETH nodes, you can get a 35% average higher yield since you charge fees to those who use your node to stake their ETH. By running a node with Stater, the ETHX staking derivative token can get minted on your validators and can flow into the world of DeFi, which Stater is actively building integrations and partnerships into to increase the utility of ETHX. Stater allows for both permissioned and permissionless nodes to join the network, maximizing its potential scalability for ETHX while preserving the values of decentralization and openness behind its liquid staking token. Go to staterlabs.com ETH and sign up to get access to the Stater staking protocol. Bankless Nation, we are back with Dan exploring this world of primitives. God, I used to love saying that word. We haven't said that word in a while. Dan, uh, with all of our uh, DeFi apps that we want to become primitives, is there a pattern for how Oracle-free or dependency-free DeFi apps emerge? Like, how does one actually remove an Oracle? Is there an underlying pattern that we can understand here?
2: Yeah, so on the trading side, like pretty well established, right? We've seen the AMM model, XYK, and then all the variations on it. On the lending side, it's admittedly a bit more complicated. And so usually, what we're seeing with you know with Aave, with Compound, with these other pooled lending models is you're relying on an oracle saying like, hey, what is the price of Ether right now? And being able to say, hey, we've got these kind of universal uh, collateral factors. Basically, how much how much can you borrow against uh, a a given you know set of collateral, and how much at what point do you then start getting liquidated, right? Uh, what When you move to an Oracle-free context, what you generally have is the lenders. So let's say I want to lend uh, USDC uh, and I'm willing to have Ether as collateral against it. I can choose uh, essentially what is the amount of USDC that I will lend against 1 ETH or against 0.5 ETH or against 100 ETH, whatever, whatever it is. Um, I can choose that. That ratio, and I'm impl- implying the collateral rate that I'm comfortable with based on what I see as the current price of ether. Now, if the price moves, we don't. That does not automatically get updated, right? And so uh, I would need to, if I don't want to see uh, a liquidation occur. Uh, as both a a borrower or a lender who wants to uh, lend it, say a new ratio based on the current market price of ETH, I would need to then update the terms of either the current loan um, or of a future loan to reflect that. And so some of these different protocols will address how that liquidation process works and how both lenders and borrowers initially express their preference in the market. But at the core, that is what's happening is you have a quote asset and a collateral asset, and you're agreeing, like, what are the kind of ratios between these assets that both lender and borrower are comfortable with? So instead of
1: depending on one external Oracle, you just are the Oracle. You are just the one that inputs
2: the desired ratio, uh, and that's how you remove the Oracle. Uh, Simply put. Yeah, and I, I think we're seeing that, you know, with with NFTs in particular, right, where, where it's been harder to have that kind of like right. off chain price. So it's like, okay, here's an NFT as collateral. Like, what are you willing to lend against it? How much are you willing to lend against it? And generally, the platforms are defining it based on the price. But you could you know, choose what price you're comfortable with. Maybe this is a floor asset, in which case it's easy. If it's not a floor NFT, then it's going to be a lot more subjective what you consider the price to be and what what you're comfortable. And so this is just saying, hey, we're not going to say we're just trusting. We're all agreeing to trust this person saying the price. It's like, no, no, no. You come in, you choose what you are comfortable with using uh, as the price, either based on your own information or whatever other service you want to trust to provide accurate price data for your you know, kind of risk profile preferences.
1: So, in in the history of of DeFi, I, I remember there was in the very early days there was peer to peer lending. Yeah, and I and I think that's what Ave was pre, in, in the very early LEND, Yeah, Eastland. back in the day. Yeah. Oh my East- god! Yeah. Was, they pivoted. Yeah, yeah. Was, they pivoted from peer to peer, where two people yeah. set the terms. Also, we had Dharma. Uh, we talked about yep. that uh, in the in the commercial break we had which was peer to peer like two yeah. uh, uh, like each side of the market would individually find each other and they would come to an individual agreement and these peer to peer finance peer to peer uh defi just got absolutely smoked by peer to contract.
0: Yeah, it failed. Uh, I mean, it, it failed. Stani, Stani had to pivot towards Aave, right. which is peer to yeah. contract, as you said. And, and so
1: this yeah. is what, what Uniswap is. This is what Aave is. Um, this is what MakerDAO is. It's like, instead of having to matchmake between individuals, uh, just you just go to the contract. And the contract is the aggregator between all the marketplaces. And so what, what I heard you say is something much more closer to the peer-to-peer world where two individual people come together and have to come up with terms and then they can make an agreement and that's how we get rid of the or- oracle. But then we introduce a problem of liquidity. How, 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 how do you have, do you have any thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, so there there are multiple ways, ways to, to get there, right? And so in the case of Ajna, right which is which is doing this i would say they're using a uni v3 style model where you have ticks based on the collateral ratios and as a lender you deposit into specific ticks and so just like uni v3 where you have these kind of non-fungible lp positions where different people are lping across different ranges uh but as a trader you can come in and trade across all of them The same thing happens within Ajna where lenders come in and again, they'll lend say USDC um, in certain ticks against ETH. But then if you want to come post ETH as collateral and borrow, you can access liquidity from multiple uh, suppliers across a variety of ticks. And so I think that's how you can make it. What's one of the ways that you can make it work is we can still use this kind of like peer-to-pool model, peer-to-contract model, uh, and just make the kind of supply side uh, non-fungible and make it a little bit, uh, I'd say, more intensive. But that that's also natural, right? If you look at any of these peer-to-peer marketplaces, even outside of crypto, what typically happens is you see one side of the market getting professionalized very, very quickly, and then you have retail on the other side because that's just the efficient way to do it. And that's ultimately everybody benefits uh, as long as you do have an, an open marketplace, because you make it, uh, I would say, uh, high barriers to entry and requirements, essentially on one side, just in terms of just how sophisticated you have to be, while allowing people on the other side to need to be less sophisticated. But as long as there is a competitive market uh, that is operated in a fair manner, then they can't be taken advantage of.
0: Mm. Is Is one way of saying this, though, Dan, that rather than removing the Oracle it's kind of like bring your own oracle maybe 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 yep. there's a synonym here maybe we're saying one of the same thing cuz now that i i look back at kind of uniswap v3 right or any of the versions of uniswap basically i you know we might say that's an oracleless um no oracle protocol Oracle-less, <laughs> oracle-less protocol um but actually you kind of have to bring your own oracle don't don't you also you get kind of like owned and i'm not saying a specific oracle but you have to kind of know at what price point you're going to like LP. Uh, you have to kind of set your ranges yourself. Yeah. You have to sort of bring some sort of source of knowledge, whether you call it an Oracle or not. Um, so maybe that was already bring your own Oracle. And that's what you're what you're saying. We could do the same with lending and borrowing. Am uh, my understanding this, like, how would you how would you articulate this?
2: Yeah, more more or less. And I think the same way that we've seen as Univ3, you know, has made it harder to LP. Um, that there have been a number of uh, different services and protocols that have popped up to make it easy for retail users to LP for certain types of pools in certain ways uh, because they're they're kind of monitoring and bringing in this external information for you. But if you want to go and use it raw yourself, you can. Uh, but there's essentially a lot of, uh, even if we don't call them options, effectively people are, Offering forms of options when they're LPing either in, uh, you know, dexes or in lending protocols, and here it's just being made more explicit where there is essentially embedded options, uh, in a lot of the LP activity that's happening in these, uh, you know, Oracle free versions of lending protocols, and and also various, if you want to get to like Oracle free derivatives, absolutely, that's a big piece of this. Is you're you're effectively embedding options but in such a way that you don't have to like, go deep on options pricing and theory to be able to use these protocols in, in various ways. But you, you probably do, uh, for at least one side of the market, want to outsource uh, your LPing to somebody who has that level of knowledge, whether it's an individual, whether it's a centralized service, whether it's a decentralized protocol, um, any of that is possible.
0: And the advantage of this design is if a chain-link oracle goes dark, like the entire protocol doesn't just kind of disintegrate, under, which could be the case with many oracle-designed protocols today. Like, really bad things happen if the price feed kind of stops. Goes erratic. Goes y- erratic.
2: Yes. Well, absolutely. And, and to be clear, that hasn't really happened. Um, and And also, if you think about it, Let's say that you know ninety five percent people are relying on then chainlink via services built on top of the Oracle free protocol. That doesn't necessarily like help overall, except right. that right, except that the way these protocols were then designed is saying okay, we're we're actually effectively embedding puts in uh, the liquidity provision piece of this, and so you're saying hey, worst case if this can't be liquidated. Um, in an efficient manner, I will accept this collateral at this ratio in return. And so therefore you have already said like, hey, worst case scenario, Oracle's down, whatever happens. Here is is essentially the arbitrated outcome that will take place as opposed to saying like, oh man, now look, this, this pool is insolvent. Uh, the protocol is insolvent. Everyone's like beating it to the exits. We've got all these problems. Uh, it's keeping risk much more isolated mm. um and more clearly defining what happens in extreme market dislocation situations. And I think that is very powerful because we've seen time and again where the uh, like manipulation of you know price feeds for certain assets, whether on-chain or off-chain, um, or you know, or, or exploits or other things, protocols will end up in a state where like the DAO is like, well, what do we do? Yeah. Um, and, and try to figure out like what is the right way to handle it because different people have different expectations, and there's not like necessarily a, a clear way that this is supposed to be resolved. Because by definition, when these things happen, they, they were unexpected. Um, and then we we said uh, governance will deal with it. And I think it's better if we say, okay, look, you were coming, you were getting the rewards, there's risks, and they're very clear up front. And yes, we can use external tools, other things to help manage those. But fundamentally, you need to know what you're getting into and you can choose different risks than I choose or than David chooses. Um, And so we can all still be interacting in the same market with our different risk preferences and still have pooled liquidity. And I think that is what is super exciting about these protocols is that ability to not massively fragment liquidity but still allow individual expressions of the risks and dependencies that you're willing to accept
0: no this is uh, very cool i mean this is um so a, cl- a, cl- a very clean wind down and another word that comes to mind to describe this is kind of resilience so these protocols would have sort of a self-healing type of nature so one oracle goes down like Chainlink or something well guess what the market is very incented to put another oracle solution in place so you know market participants can kind of bring their own oracle and the kind of the protocol self-heals uh we've seen something similar with ethereum and it's mar- uh, multi-client architecture right where we had that you know finalization event where Ethereum wasn't finalizing uh, a few weeks back and uh, it was because there was an issue with with um, two of the clients, it turned out. But good thing we had a third, good thing we had a fourth, and the network kind of continued to march on. Um, this also, when you were talking, uh, reminds me of like, this is all about maintaining fair, orderly, and efficient markets, Right? it's like orderly and efficient markets. By the way, that that is the mission of the SEC, so uh, I'm sure <laughs> Gary Gensler, and, and team would be a fan of this, or at least they would if they operated on, on first principles, but um, it's a, I guess like um, a higher layer of, of, or a lower layer of, of kind of primitive that other protocols, other things can build on. And I guess we would have kind of an app layer, maybe a DeFi saver or something like this, helping individual retail users kind of manage their, their positions across these. So do you think in terms of broad categories, we've talked about decentralized exchanges and we've seen Oracle lists. Um decentralized exchanges. Do you think we the future really for lending and borrowing on um, in DeFi is Oracle less lending and borrowing? Can we like take that entire category and make it oracleless? Are there other categories beyond lending and borrowing?
2: Yes. Uh, I, I think we can, whether we will is is very much an open question, right? I think it is absolutely possible. But to David's point, like it's hard. Right, like, or it's. Or I think maybe, maybe your point Ryan, it's like it's it's harder than what we were what we have been doing. It requires rebuilding some of the things that we've already been built. And can we do that fast enough? Um, can can do people care enough to do it? Uh, I I hope so, but I don't know. Uh, uh, we we might see that just like there's no demand for this in the market, and then people don't do it. Um, uh, and that will you know. That's a choice that kind of like we as an industry have made that individual users have made. Uh, but you know, I want to at least draw out this potential future path that I think would be more robust. Uh, and again, I, I've seen a bunch of teams that are already starting down this path. And so I want to help shine a light and bring more awareness to that mm-hmm. um, and hopefully encourage more teams to think about this path if it wasn't already something that they had in their head.
1: Well, I, I think if we're thinking if with an adversarial mindset, which we should be thinking in an adversarial mindset, uh, if it can be exploited, if it can be hacked, if something can go wrong, it will go wrong at some point in time. And so I think we should all be concerned when like 50% of the TVL is one uh, oracle, erratic oracle away from getting liquidated. So like, I think perhaps we should assume that that is going to happen. And I think really the question is uh, just like how on-chain DEX volume is up post FTX, do we, win, do we want to get our on-chain borrowing and lending up uh, into uh, Oracle-free protocols before or after there's a major Oracle exploit, I think is the big question. But either way, it's going there. Uh,
2: it's just a matter of time. Dan, you... And, and to be clear, it. this is not the only thing that we need to do to fix DeFi right. security, I think. This is just part, uh, one. <laughs> this is part one. right? So, and there's a lot of other ideas I'm sure that other people have, and I, I want to get the conversation going, but... Um, I'm gonna be touching Mm -hmm. on topics like, uh, how do we actually introduce circuit breakers in a way that maintains permissionlessness and composability while presenting, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars from just like disappearing in one transaction? Uh, How do we actually get to what I'm calling generalized multi-party sentinel contracts, to basically permissionlessly delegate in a non-custodial way to multiple parties to help protect protocols and individual users? Um, and then also really thinking a lot more about bounties and how we can have significantly larger bounties that scale with the value of risk uh, and create the incentives to better secure the ecosystem. So these are just a few ideas that I'm looking forward to writing about and to discussing with people. Um, and, And I know there's a lot of other people that are starting to think more about security, but I started here because I think this idea of a layered approach while allowing for unified markets Actually underpins a lot of those other ideas as well.
1: Well, Dan, thank you for coming on and walking us through this conversation. You, you've mentioned a handful of projects and teams, but overall, who are the the leaders in this space of Oracle free, dependency free protocols? If people are curious to so go and poke around and learn a little bit more, uh, what are some standout pro- uh, projects uh, in well, your mind?
2: Well, I mentioned a, a couple earlier that were very early, which was like Panoptic and Timeless. Um, the I would say Blurs Blend. Um, is a great example of this now that that has become very popular uh there's a bunch of others uh, that are that are coming up soon uh you know a number of which were invested in at nascent so those um some of these that are ajna uh ethereum Credit Guild uh Meta Street which does kind of nft based lending uh, with their automated uh, tranche makers doing some very cool stuff uh, so there's a number of folks that are coming in this space and and um, very excited to to see them all be in market and see how it, how it plays out in real life
0: well awesome we'll uh end it there dan this has been great always always game to make uh DeFi a bit more d a bit more uh decentralized <laughs> i should say and we got to work on that now right now it's 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 the time uh so hopefully some of these these teams and projects are coming to market soon uh and uh we appreciate you sharing all this with the bankless nation thank you well thanks for having me on for the discussion Risk disclaimers, gotta remind you, of course, none of this has been financial advice. It never is on bankless, ETH, DeFi, all this stuff is kind of risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.